0: The title of my message is For the Sake of the Gospel. Being a leader entails entails, um, being misunderstood. And it comes with a territory. The leader must make decisions for the group and the organization. And sometimes the decisions the leader makes are not popular. And for that, they get criticized. And they pay the price for making tough decisions. And few times, they actually get vindicated for making those tough decisions. A few years ago, there was an NFL quarterback named Colin Kaepernick, and he was a quarterback. So, you know, it, you know, in football, the most important position is quarterback, right? And so they make the most money, and they're basically the, the face of the franchise. And, um, and so as a, as a quarterback... Uh, of a starting quarterback of a, a well-known team in the NFL, he, during the anthem ceremony, before the game starts, he started kneeling uh, to protest uh, police brutality uh, to, to the black people. And, um, and uh, he, he was immediately uh, criticized for his um, protest and said, you know, how could you, you know, how dare you, uh, you know, really dishonor the flag, you know, don't you dare do that. But he said, no, no, it's not about dishonoring the flag, but to just bring attention to people about this issue. Um, so he kept doing it. And so eventually uh, the, the owners and the, the NFL basically kicked him out of the, the, the league and said, you are not part of us. And so at the peak of his career, I mean, even before uh, he took his team to the, uh, to the Super Bowl, so he came very close to even being a, a super bowl champion, and but because of his stance, because of the decision that he has made, uh, he was never he was released from the team, and no other team would um, take him. And then, um, but then now, like the the public opinion has turned, and then now people are saying he did the right thing. Of course, there are people. Who still disagree with uh, with it, and uh, they, they don't get the point of what he was trying to the po- uh, the point that he was trying to make. But sometimes leaders have to make tough decisions that are not popular. And the same can be said of the pastors. The pastors have to make some tough decisions, and it is impossible to make decisions that are satisfactory to every person all the time. It is just impossible, and even though you may make a difficult decision after seeking the Lord, there may still be plenty of people who will not be happy with the decision that you make. You know, many years ago, many many years ago, I was uh, I first got to this church. Um, when I first got there, the small group ministry was not in a good shape. Um, it was suffering. Uh a couple of the volunteer leaders stepped down. As soon as I got there, I guess to them, they were really burned out. And then uh, they were basically holding down the fort. So as soon as I got there, they're like, okay, you know, I'm done. I'm done. I-, I just can't do this anymore. So there were small groups that were all of a sudden without leaders. And um, so I saw the need for re- revamping the small group ministry. And someone was around the corner, corner, so I made a decision to take a break and regroup. Some people said, yeah, that's the right thing to do. Uh, maybe the thing that I should have done was maybe I had a more consensus, but I pretty much made an executive decision uh, and said, yeah, why don't we just take a break during the summer and we try to regroup. So some people agreed and said, that's a good idea. But there were other group of people who said, why, why are you making us stop? You know, we should, we should meet at all times. So there are some group of people in the church who are not happy with my decision. Whatever you do, whatever the, oftentimes as a leader, as a pastor, whatever the decision that, that, that we make, it may not really fly with you. Not everybody will be happy. And the potential to be misunderstood is big. I mean, we talk about the limitation of human language, right? Even just just the, the human language that we use to convey and communicate, it just doesn't really oftentimes do justice. When you are in such great love with someone, like your spouse or your special person, when you say, I love you, sometimes it just doesn't really convey the depth of your love for that person. Or when you talk to your son or your daughter, your child, you know, I love you, son, I love your daughter. Oftentimes that doesn't cannot simply convey everything, right? How much the intensity, intensity of your feeling, or when I say I'm I'm sad. And all these things can there is a limitation to our human language. It doesn't really fully reveal everything about what we are truly going through at that time. Not only that. Uh, There is a complex complexity in in, in communication. Because even as we speak, there are times when we mean to say something to the other person, but when it comes, how it comes out, even after you say it and that you were saying things, what you meant to say, but even after you say it and you're like, okay, I didn't really mean to say that, why did it come out that way, right? So we even have difficulty even just expressing our thoughts and opinions in a a way that we truly want to communicate. So what we meant to say is not necessarily how it comes out. And not only that, when the hearer hears it, it's not necessarily like uh, even we meant to say this, A, but then the hearer may take, no, he's saying B. Even though I mean to say A, this is what I'm saying, A, but the hearer, listener, uh, hears it, hears what you are saying, And then interpret it as you are saying B. So he then he comes, uh, he just figures this out in his head, and this you are saying B. And then you said no, 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 I am saying A, right? And so there is a multi-layer, right? There are many different steps, even for us to even truly communicate what we really are thinking, what we are feeling inside. So there is a complexity in in the way, even many different levels of how people can. Uh, misconstrued what you are trying to say. And we also have assumptions that we make about the other person. Maybe it comes from our first impression or something that we may think that we know about that person. So we don't really know that person that well. And so we make some assumptions about that person based on our past encounters with that person. And we say, oh, he must be like this. She must be like that. So whenever that person speaks, we immediately put a spin what they are saying is, like, oh because he, I know he's like this so what he says must be, mean this and so there are a lot of areas where like our we can be misunderstood and a lot of decisions and what we do are under scrutiny I remember like many once again I'm going back to many years ago it was it never happened in the church one time I, I walked into the to the Sunday service um and so there were a few people that were just getting ready and serving and i must have been something must have been on my mind um so i i guess i didn't even realize it at the time but i guess i had a really serious look the and so you know the rest resting you know that, that look um that wasn't i guess i was i didn't even realize it because i don't see myself in the mirror i mean like, i can not see myself at the moment and then, uh, before right before the, the worship starts, one of the sisters uh, that was serving, maybe uh, I don't know if she was in the praise team, I, I, I forget. But um, she came to me and said, Pastor Wujin, are you mad at me? And I'm like, Huh? What? What do you What do you mean? I was like, You know, you when you looked at me when you uh, you gave me that glare, right? Like as if like you were really mad at me. And I'm like, No, no, no. I didn't. No, I didn't. I didn't even realize I, I gave you the look or anything. I like, the way you looked at me it was like something was wrong with me. Are you mad at me? I was like, no, I'm not. Right? And so like, we had to, I had to like, tell her that, that there is nothing personal about, I guess, in the way I was looking at her. But, and yet, like, how we even look. Right? So I, I have to make a point. When I'm in, with the people, because I tend to do that, like I have to put a smiley face, like right? hi, how are you? You know, good to see you. Because if I don't do that, you know, I maybe people may think that man he's not happy. Something is wrong with him, or he's maybe he's not happy with me. Maybe he knows something about my life that maybe I don't want to talk about or, or something, so he's not happy with me. So we uh, like the pastors can be even whether we mean to or be intentional about it people can misunderstand what we say or what we do and uh, on top of all that you know we uh pastors have character character flaws we are not perfect we got issues every one of us we have blind spots that we don't even know that they exist we have brokenness in our life in our, in, in, in us so there, there are times when we don't even realize it, but it just comes out at people. A long time ago, uh, I was with a, this, um, uh, you know, my roommate. One time said, "You know, you're not a really gracious winner." And I was like, "What do you mean?" And because you know, we play like cards or something. And then when I when I win, I'm like, "Ha!" You know, I got you, right? And I just glory in it. I, I don't, I don't like you know, try to say you know like, you know, and I was like, "You, you know, ha ha!" You know, you loser. You know, kind of, I didn't even. S- realized that I was doing that he pointed out to me and until he pointed out this was like in my 30s I didn't know about that about myself because no one ever has ever pointed things out to me about my way of how I was dealing with people I didn't even know that there was there you see like there so combine all this then a pastor or the leader can easily be in a lonely and vulnerable position And Paul was no exception. He was under constant threats from fellow Jews who just could not stand his ministry as he went about and he just preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, a condemned man, someone who proclaimed, claimed to be a Messiah. And that just went against everything that they believed in. The religious establishment could not accept the claims of Christ and what he has done. And here Paul is traveling all over the place and preaching the gospel. So they wanted to take him out. So he went through so much. We may think that he was, he had his life easy. No, not at all. He was flogged. He was imprisoned. He was shipwrecked and all these different things, all the sufferings that he had to endure for the sake of the gospel. And yet, he still went about his way led by the Holy Spirit and spread the gospel and planted churches. And Corinthian church was one one of them. If anything, the Corinthian church should have been absolutely supportive of his ministry and get behind Paul because he was, Paul was their spiritual father. Without him, There was no gospel. There was no eternal life, salvation for them. They owed him respect and appreciation for bringing the gospel to them. And yet, Paul finds himself having to defend his apostolic authority precisely because he declined to receive the support from them for his ministry. So some of the uh, ungrateful Corinthians, Oh! You know, I, when I think about that, I get upset too. Like, man, these, like, spoiled, ungrateful Corinthians. And they questioned his apostleship. If you, uh, go, if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, it says this I have been a fool. You forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you. For I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. So Paul is defending himself. Because people at, some of the people at Corinthians, Corinthian church said, is he really an apostle? We don't know. In the previous chapter, Paul talked about the principle that Christian freedom should not uh, should, be, should be tempered by voluntary uh, surrendering uh, one's rights. And he uh, you know, used the example of meat sacrificed to idols. Yes, there is only one God. Idols, they're nothing. They don't even exist. There is only one true God. So theologically, it is correct to eat food sac- and offered to idol because it really doesn't mean anything but because of the, the new converts because of those weak brothers and sisters and they got stumbled oh so does that mean we can eat does that mean oh so that means like I can go back to my old way of life I guess it is okay or how could they do that So it, because it stumbled they, uh, the, the weak brothers for their sake That even though you have your free, your conscience may be clear to exercise your right or exercise your freedom, but you should consider that and refrain from it. That the exercise of our freedom or our right should not be a stumbling block to other brothers and sisters in Christ. Because in the end, it comes back, comes down to loving God and loving our neighbor's. Certainly, it includes our brothers and sisters who may not be as solid in, our, uh, un- in their understanding of, uh, of the Scripture and love them. It has to lead to love, genuine love for the people. And in this case, in chapter 9, Paul had a right to be supported, every right to be supported by the church, the Corinthian church, But he relinquished his right voluntarily. And because of that, he got criticized. He makes a sacrifice on his his end for the church. And they criticize him for making a sacrifice. It is unbelievable because he was so burdened. He didn't want to really burden the church. So he said, you know what? I'm just making a sacrifice. And even though it is my right, to be supported. I'm not going to just receive support from you. And for that, he gets, uh, he gets criticized. In verse 3, it says, this is my defense to those who would examine me. When he says those who would examine me, that's what he's referring to. People who, who, who criticize him. He defends that his ministry has produced true spiritual fruit. The very, the, the, Corinthians, the Corinthians, you Corinthians are the very reason that I am an apostle because it is a true spiritual fruit for the Lord which should confirm that he is indeed an apostle. And he says in verse 1-2, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? He even saw Jesus on the way to Damascus. So he's an apostle in that way as well. Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? The fact that you even exist as a church in the city of Corinth, that is a seal, that is a proof that the Lord used me and the Lord is with me. And as we looked at in 2 Corinthians, performing miracles and signs and wonders, all these things, how could I have done that if if the Lord God is not with me? That is my proof and that is my defense to you people. And the next 10 verses contain more than a dozen rhetorical questions that provide clues about the situation. They were just criticizing about, um, uh, you know, like, you know, verse 5 says, "Do uh, Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife? So they were even criticizing him for being single, being celibate. You know, and you know, for him, the reason why he remained single is so that he could devote all his time for the, uh, for the sake of the gospel to just preach the gospel and just serve the church, strengthen the church, build up the church. And yet people were criticizing him. For, oh, you know, all these other apostles, they are married. Peter is married. All these other apostles that, that we know, they are married. And he's not married. Maybe he's not an apostle. He had to defend all these things. He had criticized. It was right for Paul to be supported by the church for his ministry, but he chose not to out of love for them. But his good intention was misconstrued. Maybe some other wealthy Corinthians were upset, or they weren't too happy because Paul declined their patronage and uh, concluded from this that he wasn't a legitimate apostle because, they did, uh, because he didn't claim his rights as an apostle. Because if you're a true apostle, you should have taken it. If you are truly an apostle, you should, have done, uh, you, know, you should have done that. You should have done this. So they were just nitpicking and just coming up with a list, whole list of things that were kind of questionable in their eyes about Paul. So they concluded that he was not a legitimate apostle. And if he's not a genuine apostle, then why should they listen to his instructions? No wonder we see Paul, Paul's deep emotions and angst in the following verses. Do we not, uh, verse 4, do we not have the right to eat and drink? And as, we, as they say, verse 5, you know, do we not have the right to, uh, to take along a believing wife? You know, verse, nine, uh, verse uh, 8, do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? And so he goes on to say about, do we not, does it, am I, just because I refrain from using my right or exercising my freedom, does that make, does that make me uh, not an apostle? So he has really just um, some, he, we see a deep emotions from Paul in these uh, verses. You know, when you pour out your heart and invest in people, but they turn against you, it's hurtful. It cuts deep. If there were like little emotional investment, spiritual investment, if there were no relationship capital, then little would be lost, it's no big deal because you were acquaintances because there was no sweat and blood involved when somebody who doesn't really know you, when you it just uh, somehow a like, relationship gets sour it really doesn't affect you because you didn't really invest in the relationship with that person but when you are with somebody that you really care for you spend a lot of time you build up relationships over years, and you pour out your heart, and then the person turns against you. It really hurts. And that's what happened with Paul and the Corinthians. You gave everything you had so they might know Christ, and then they criticize you. It hurts. I remember at uh, at a, at a uh, one of the previous churches that I, I served. You know, there was this one sister that. Uh, that were in the, in the church for a while. I mean, it's not like we were really close, but I knew her for a while. And we were doing fine. And then, but then one day, he just, she just came out of the blue and said, uh, you know, actually, I think this, pastor, uh, this church needs a new pastor. And then she left the church. And I was like, what? Where does that come from? I mean, she said, yeah, to my face, she said, uh, well, this church needs a new pastor. Basically, she's saying that I'm not a good fit. For the, for the church. And then she, she she left. And I was so hurt. I was like, she didn't even really specify, right, or identify what the problem was. What problem? I didn't even know that, that she had issues. She never, like, voiced any concerns or like, objections or anything. Maybe she just, like, put it inside, like, you know, kind of like a lot of Asian Americans just kind of being really p- passive, aggressive or something. Never said anything. And then said, well, oh, you, you just are not a good fit for the church. And that's why I'm basically... She said, that's why I'm leaving the church, right? It's it, Things like that, it's really difficult for the pastors. You know, uh, here, like Paul is saying, how could you distort my love for you and question me after all that I have been laboring for you? So we see that the emotions are really coming out, even though it's simply written, but we can see when he just asks a series of questions, rhetorical questions like this. And in verse 9, Right, he, he even say uh, he says you know, for it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it tread uh, treads out treads out the grain. Uh, is it is it for oxen that God is concerned? Because Deuteronomy 25:4 commands the Israelites to allow even their oxen to eat as they work. You know Paul is saying that it does not only apply to the animals but also towards men. And verse 13 and 14 uh, make it clear that Christian workers should be paid uh, for their labors. Right? In verse 13 it says this do you uh, do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. Obviously, it's talking about the Old Testament priesthood, the, the Levites, the, the priests. They were, you know, when people bring in them uh, the offering, portion of it was to be given to them because they dedicated their whole life to the, to, the, to the temple service. And in verse 14, it says, In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel. Should get, their, should get their living by the gospel. Jesus himself said this in Luke chapter 10, verse 7, says this, And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. In the context, Jesus sends out the, the, uh, the 72, in, in, uh, two by two, and I say, he says, you know, as you go, and preach the gospel to different remote villages, you know, stay with them. And you should, and the people, when, when you are doing the Lord's work, the people in the house should take care of you. Pastors are not in the ministry for money. Some maybe, but most people are not. We are in the trenches because of the call from the Lord. It's tough and it's challenging. To be in ministry, you know, any pastor can tell you story after story, episode after episode of what he has gone through, right? In in ministry, uh, most people think you know they can't really don't really understand the full extent of the things that the pastors go through because they tend to only see them on Sundays, right? Just one day out of the week, but there are a lot that they have to endure and go through. And from what I can tell. Most pastors would have left the ministry if they were in it for money. I think there are, I I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but there are other jobs out there that we could have taken for more comfortable uh, or more posh, like lifestyle. But we remain in the ministry for the sake of the gospel because people need the gospel. The gospel frees us from our sinfulness, from our lostness, from our darkness, from our ignorance. We are headed toward death and eternal separation from God, eternal condemnation from Him. And the only way for us to get away from that is to understand and believe in the gospel. Because through the gospel of Jesus Christ, by His grace, that we repent of our sins. When we repent of our sins, all the sins, past, present, and future, that God will forgive us of our sins and restore our relationship with Him, free of charge. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. What we should have hung, what we should have paid for our own Penalty, God sent his son and replaced us with him. All his righteous anger and wrath was poured on him. He became the scapegoat for all of us. And now he offers the free salvation, the restored relationship with God by trusting in him as our Lord and Savior. This gospel is what people need. This gospel It's what the world needs. You know, all the problems in the world, the only solution is the gospel. Racial inequality, abortion, human trafficking, you name it. All kinds of ills and social evils in this world. Nothing will truly change unless we uh, know and turn to the gospel. Because all these problems are systemic, but in the end, it is really the, the behind all the system are the sinful hearts, people who are, who are evil, people who are sinful. The depraved minds came up with all this. So unless we deal with the root issue that is the gospel, there can be truly no change. We may make some uh, reforms here and there, make it better for the most part, but it cannot truly address the root issue. Only the gospel does. Through the gospel, we come to know the grace of God, true and sacrificial love of Christ, and the forgiveness offered to us. And how we can, through the gospel, only through the gospel, that we know how to have a restored relationship with Him. Because the gospel says there is no way that we can on our own, with our own efforts, being trying to be good, trying to be a good neighbor, trying to do good things in the world, being a philanthropist, what have you, cannot truly save you. It is only through our humility before God and trusting Him and renouncing our old ways and turning to God, turn about faith and just turn, walk towards God. That is the only way. And the gospel breaks down our pride and unrighteousness. So God will reign supreme in and through us. So for this, God called pastors. God called us to ministry so his gospel will will be made known and that his kingdom will advance. In this world. To this uh, this end, we labor. And the people of God are called to support the Christian workers so they can do the work of the gospel ministry. The relationship between the church and the pastor is not that of employer and employee. But sadly, that's how some churches see it. Some people see it. Oh, we pay for him. So he's our employer, employee. Or they, sometimes they take advantage of the fact that the pastor is not in it for money. So they lowball the compensation or expect the pastor to survive on his own. Oh, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a man of God, so he should suffer. I mean, we don't have to really support him that much. I mean, you know, it, it will be more blessing for us to see him suffer, right? And barely just uh, making it through uh, month in and month out. That will bless us more kind of mentality, the full-time pastor should not have to be so preoccupied with providing for their basic needs that they cannot devote themselves fully to their work. Same thing goes with the full-time missionaries, right? Can you imagine, like, they are uh, they were called to serve the Lord overseas, but that they just don't have enough support. People are not giving enough support, so they go, they go there, but then they have to work half the time. They have to just, because they can't even pay the rent or put any food on the table, so half the time, they're just you know, trying to work. How we are to look at pastor's compensation is that church doesn't really pay its pastors. Rather, church provides means, resources, the support so that the pastors are able to serve freely. Whatever that they are called to do. That's how we are to look at it, not an employer and employee kind of relationship. And the pastor, on the other hand, is to be in it, in the ministry for the sake of the gospel, not for fame, not for money, not for power. And in verse 12, second half of uh, verse 12, he uh, says why he did not receive the, the support that he was due. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than, put, uh, rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. He did this in order not to put a stumbling block in the way of uh, his hearers as he presented the gospel, especially for the non-Christians, because they don't know any better. When the non-Christians at the time, there were so many non-Christians, so when they found out, oh so he's getting paid to speak to preach the gospel so then they can e- they can be easily more already they're uh, you know they're kind of like uh, a little like critical or not really convinced if they found out that he was being paid that the church was supporting him then they can they can be a stumbling block to the non-believers. The Lord laid had laid uh, on on Paul the conviction. To preach the gospel. In verse 16. It says. For for if I preach the gospel. That gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. He felt compelled. To preach the gospel. To him. It was a privilege. So he would have done it. Even if he were not getting paid. Free of charge. Even if no one supported him, he would still be content, knowing he let the mystery of the gospel known to people who desperately need it. The reward to him is not material things, but seeing people coming to Christ, people being led into the light from darkness, people coming to know God. And this passage is not just for the pastors. The same Principle can be applied to all of us. Each of us is called to use our spiritual gifts with diligence, generosity, and earnestness. Basically, going beyond and above, uh, going above and beyond the call of duty. Some of you guys who are at home may not know, but you know there are a few brothers uh, here that's that's like, yeah. I mean, I I just call it, you know, Joe, right? He comes out every Sunday to, to you know, set up the audio and video system so that the rest of us can stay home and watch this uh, service. But if Joe says, you know, I've been coming out every Sunday to set up the, this, uh, the AV system while everyone else is staying in the comfort of, their, uh, of his or her own home, right? I'm doing this. Can I get paid for this? Then that, you know, that would kind of diminish right, his serving for the Lord. It's like, hey, I want to get paid. I I want to be recognized for this. But as a volunteer, out of love for the church, the volunteers do this, serve without any expectation to be paid for the service rendered. And I am blessed to be part of the congregation where a lot of people are serving. Serving the Lord. And I'm talking about this godly burden a burden and a desire to serve God by serving the church let me ask you what compels you what motivates you to do anything is it money you want to get more get more money is that why what motivates you to do what you do or is it family you love your family so to, because you love your family, you will do whatever it takes to support your family. What motivates you? Is it formal? Just fear of missing out? That the world will just like pass you by if you don't get on with it? Is it the peer pressure that motivates you to do certain things a certain way? The question is, what really compels you? Does the gospel compel you to live a different life? Not just going with a flow kind of thing. Would you go against the grain? Because the gospel calls for it. What motivates you and what compels you? What role does the gospel play in your life? Is it on the fringe? Because we talk about the gospel all the time. So it's there in your life somewhere, but not at the center of your life. Is it like a trophy that you kind of once in a while look at, that you put up, uh, put, in a, in a, put up on a shelf and kind of look at it once in a while kind of thing? What is gospel to you? How does the gospel compel you? How is your life changed because of the gospel that compels you to live a, a compels you to live a Christ-centered life, how has it really changed your life? Does the gospel compel you in any way, any area in your life? Because for Paul, the gospel compelled him to live a certain life. It's not because he didn't want to get married, because, because of the, for the sake of the gospel, he chose to be celibate. Because of the gospel, he chose not to receive support even though he had every right to. Because of the gospel, for the sake of the gospel, he was imprisoned, he was flogged, went through hell. He, he, he suffered so much. But the gospel compelled him to move forward. How does the gospel compel you in your life, in your daily life? May we live a life compelled the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you at this time and um, Lord uh, we turn to you and we recognize God that in many ways that this gospel, this precious gospel does not truly move us. It doesn't compel us to make changes in our comfortable lifestyle. Whatever the routine that we have established, we don't want to come out of it. We only want to live for you when it is convenient, when it's advantageous, when something to be gained by it. But we don't want to make any sacrifice. We don't want to be inconvenienced by the gospel or what Christ calls us to. We would rather just sit on our hand. We would rather just continue with our lives just the way it is without seriously considering the call of the gospel in our lives, what it really implies, what it really means. Lord, we confess that the gospel does not compel us. It's on the fringe somewhere. It's in there somewhere in our lives, but it's not at the core It does not motivate us to make changes where it's necessary. We just uh, just chug along. We keep doing the same things over and over. Thinking why our lives are still the same. That there is no change. that That our life is boring. It's same old, same old. So Lord, as we examine our own hearts, may we really once again behold you. May we come to a deeper understanding of the gospel. And for gospel's sake, that we would change. Because that's what you call for. So empower us, enable us, convict us, convince us, persuade us, compel us so that we may live in accordance with your will and according to your purpose in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.